unlocking your unlimited potential is the ability to pivot on demand to continue moving forward. Every step in the right direction is a step. No matter if it's a baby step or not, keep moving forward. But most of us will go through life never tapping into those gifts and talents that lie dormant within. So helping that youngster to find what's there as opposed to envying and being jealous of all the other people who have accomplished their own goals. You've got your own stuff within you. You just got to tap into it. Consistent creation comes confidence and confidence. We think we know our students' potential. We don't. We think we know our own potential. We don't. We only reach our limits when we stop trying. So keep trying. Allowing others to see in them what you see in them. Helping them to see in them what you see. And, and to, you know, helping them believe in the greatness that they are, that you see and experience every day. Giving somebody a chance and being there to support them through it. It means your potential is unlimited. I mean, focus on that. It is an infinite pro process. It's an infinite progress. You're constantly taking steps to improve. Don't ever chase, got it. Don't ever chase that moment. Don't ever chase it, whatever that is, unless it is constant progress. So focus on the unlimited portion of this that you don't chase somebody else, don't chase an arbitrary moment in time, a momentary accomplishment, a certificate, a label, a title, just keep getting better every day. If we're doing that work, or somebody else is doing that work on us, and at this point I think the children does that work on each one of the staff, and each one of the people that get involved in self-aware, they get unlocked their, their potential by the children. So once you get involved with children, working with children, it's not what you do with them, it's, it's how the children impact in your life to unlock that, that unlimited potential that you have, and then they're gonna see the benefits from it. Unlocking unlimited potential means empowering others to take the risks they need to to become exactly who they can be. Help that kid find what they're truly passionate about and what keeps them up at night working and what wakes them up early and what gives them that sense of wow. And I want them to find what they're good at to really identify their strengths. You know, that's the thing because of school and because of the model that we use for school where we're really focused a lot on weaknesses and trying to level up those weaknesses. I, for me, brother, I just want that kid to identify what they're passionate about and what their strength is. And then getting clear about how we can help that kid use that potential and use that strength to go out into the world and make a difference in the lives of other people. Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories show. It's so excited to be here with you all. We have an amazing guest today. I am super excited to bring on the show today, Dr. Allie Flegging. She comes to us from New Jersey. She is a teacher, a rock star teacher, high school English teacher, advanced placement teacher. She will tell you more than I will be able to tell you, but she has an awesome article that also just came out that I totally blew my mind the other day as I came across reading it. We're going to dive into that. She has a title, an article that she co-authored with an also another amazing educator, Dr. Katie Cunningham. 
in ASCD. The title of the article, Efficacy in the Face of Adversity. And we're going to dive into that. Allie, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's been a, a little bit of craziness. We were just talking about it getting into the end of the school year, and we're excited to kind of put everything together. And you and I have been going back and forth and having the opportunity to, to share stories on this show. And we're excited to talk about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how have you gotten on this path of awesomeness that you've gone on to lately in the field of education? Well, I'll start by saying one of my uh, toxic traits is telling like five stories before I tell the real story. So I'm going to try very hard to keep it you know, to the point. Um, I, I really think it all started with where I went to high school. I went to an all-girls Catholic school uh, very begrudgingly. I did not want to go. And my parents said, you know, you have a choice. You can go to the all-girls school or you can go to the co-ed or you can go to public school. And I went to the all-girls school and while I was there, I, I enjoyed it. And it was very tough and it was very much, you know, the upper echelon of of everybody. And when I was there, I, I said, oh, I'll just do enough to get by. And I was very happy with that and content. Um, it wasn't until I graduated and left that I started to realize, well, um, that education gave me a lot. So I transferred from a small um, private school in Florida to Fordham University. My dad actually kind of bet me. He said, well, let's see if you can get in. I'll pay the application fee, but I don't know if you can, even though he says he never said that, but whatever. It, I needed that at that time. Got in, got into um, the five-year master's program, um, realized I really didn't like New York City, and said, I'm going to transfer all of my credits to St. Peter's, which now is on the map because of uh, basketball. I don't know anything really about sports, except my fiance is the coach of them all, but... Um, <laughs> transferred them. And my dad said, and my mother, they were like, you can't just not work. Once you graduate, you, you need to get a job. So I drove to, and I'm not kidding, every single Catholic and private school in Bergen, Passaic, and Essex County in New Jersey, dropped off my resume, my cover letter. Um, during one of those drives, I got a flat tire, got it patched. And I said, there's one more school and I'm going to it. And that's the only school that called me back, got the job, Spent that whole year getting my certification, finishing up my master's, was successful. Um, and then I got a job at the school I'm at now. So that's kind of, see, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too long. Um, but that's really how it all started for me. Um, and I always knew once I had transferred to Fordham, this love of education that I think was always there, that I kind of just shoved aside because it's kind of scary to tell people that you want to be successful. Um, I don't. I don't know if maybe you can understand that a bit, but it's it's really a vulnerable place to be. Um, I just knew that I wanted to pursue a doctoral degree. So I waited a year and then I was in my classroom one day and a guidance counselor came up to me and said, you need to get your doctoral degree before you're married and have children. So I'm hoping he would say that to you know my male counterpart and I think that he would but I took it seriously and I found Manhattanville. I applied, I interviewed and, you know, the rest is history. I, I completed my dissertation. I graduated within three years. It was such a wonderful, wonderful experience. Even during the tough times, I, I learned so much. 
from the entire experience. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I did it, I finished, and it's it's wonderful. Well, first of all, go Peacocks. Yeah. Because that was an incredible run in the NCAA basketball. I truly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I became a St. Peter's Peacocks fan as well. But, you I know. I didn't even get a sweatshirt from the school. I don't even have a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get one. It's time. It's definitely, they earned it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, you talk a little bit about this idea of, you know, one thing you said is it's scary when you want to be successful. And that is a very, very common theme that people have shared throughout this show in many different ways, that, that place of vulnerability and being able to put yourself out there. You know, a lot of the people that have come onto this show before are people that are speakers, that are influencers, that are people that are out there in the education space making noise about great work that they truly believe in. And a lot of them share that same story. A lot of them share that same story of that fear of what am I doing and how is it impacting others? And a lot of times we get in our own way of that because we question whether or not we can do it. We question whether or not we can fulfill the path that we've set out on because successful people set lofty goals. And so I know that that is something, it kind of walks right into the work that you've done through your work and through the research that you've been doing lately and even into your article, Efficacy in the Face of Adversity, put out by ASCD Magazine. And just a really amazing discovery. There was some great work in there. I personally have some amazing notes. And, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me was this quote, one of the lessons the pandemic has taught us that is that we should anticipate that uncertainty and challenge are part of the new normal in our classrooms and in life. And that to me, in a nutshell, really stood out as a really important component of your article. So tell us a little bit about the story behind the article. How did you end up getting to this point? That's a, first of all, that's a, a bucket list item for a lot of the people that I work with and that I, I have the chance to, to meet. So talk through that and then let's, we're going to dive into the article a bit. Well, first I was very lucky, very, very lucky. And I don't think I would have I mean, there are so many things that contributed to the opportunity that I was given to even be able to um, submit a manuscript. But through Manhattanville, Dr. Katie Cunningham, she gave a presentation one night and um, I was just so struck by everything that she shared. And she was so vulnerable. And um, I just approached her after and I said, hi, my name is Allie Flegging and I would love to be able to talk. And then I saw her at another um, Manhattanville event. And I said the same thing. We spoke, whatever. And then we built this beautiful friendship. Um, but behind that, that was the beginning with uh, Katie Cunningham. But for the actual article, basically my dissertation, you know, there were many doctoral students during the pandemic that they were like almost at that sweet spot. They were going to finish in the time that they wanted. They had um, their chapters one, two, and three, they were done. They had their chair, everything like that. And then the pandemic hit. And it, I still am so struck that we had all this free time and it was so hard 
to be focused and be motivated and have everything, you know, that we wanted to get done, done. So I changed my research topic to looking at trade, emotional intelligence, resilience, um, and self-efficacy. So through, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping the gun, but if, so through um, those variables, basically, I discovered a potential latent variable that I call crisis efficacy, which basically takes the three variables that I have, I just said, trade, emotional intelligence, resilience. may have, you may be better placed to face times of adversity. However, you need well-being to do that. Um, so uh, Dr. Katie Cunningham, this is so her wheelhouse. So much of her research is in well-being and gratitude and joy. Um, so it, it all just worked out very well. We did some independent studies. We created some curriculum for the college. Um, and during some of those independent studies, she said, hey, let's try and write an article about your research. And I said, what? Who cares? <laughs> I said, nobody cares about this. I'm just a doctoral student. And we we wrote one article, we submitted it, it was not accepted. And then on the next one, the one that actually ended up um, getting into ed leadership, um, they, they accepted it. So that's kind of how the whole journey started. Um, and it's been a really humbling and wonderful one. Yeah. And first of all, let me just say the fact that you had only one no and the second yes is pretty incredible from the work, the experience that I've had. So I will have to say that that is pretty amazing and something you should be completely proud of. Well, I had an incredible co-author as well. I always say it's a little bit who you know, it's a little bit of luck, but if you make the right connections, nobody's going to give you anything for free. Nope. So a lot of it is having a great mentor who who sees something in you and wants to, you know, not push you down and say, oh, you're doing all this wrong, celebrates you for the things that you're doing right. Um, and just continue, continues to guide you because I could not have done it without her. So please. Yeah, no, absolutely. We rise by lifting others, I yep. think is said in every single show that we have, because there's always a reference to it. And that's something so important when we try to climb that mountain, when we try to go after big goals, one thing that we learn really quickly is we can't do it alone. And so I love the fact that you're bringing Dr. Katie Cunningham up here because her work has been incredible. She's someone that people need to definitely check out. One thing we do on this episode is we usually dedicate the episode to someone who's out there unlocking unlimited potential in all whom we serve. So we are going to dedicate this episode to Dr. Katie Cunningham. Shout out to you. The question for me is, you know, when we go onto these pathways and we have these big lofty goals and we have these big dreams and big aspirations, and like you said, successful people have a tendency to just keep going and keep trying to keep going. What do you think it was that drew you to her? What do you think it was that made you kept going and, and connecting with her and reaching out? Because sometimes that's the first step a lot of people don't take because they're back to that whole fear that you were talking about. So what do you think drew you two to each other? So um, 
I'm actually teaching a course right now at Manhattanville called The Science of Teacher and Student Happiness. And I just had this amazing journal reflection response from a student named Tanisha. And in it, she said, when I meet other teachers, it's like this instant connection. And I know that I can just totally be myself and be open. And like, really shout out to Tanisha, but that is the only way I can really describe it. Also, um, Dr. Cunningham was, and now I call her Katie, but like old habits die hard. Um, she was just so vulnerable. She gave this beautiful presentation and she opened it up speaking about her family um, and the different struggles that they have gone through. And, you know, every family has their own struggles. Every family has their own trauma. And to hear somebody who is so educated and, you know, just has this presence in the room that she could be so open and do that, I, I thought, oh my gosh, like, how, how could I not approach this woman? How could I not? And I'm so thankful that she was accepting of that. And, you know, that, that's why I, I preach it to my students all the time. Vulnerability works as long as it's genuine, which I mean, in essence, like if you're being vulnerable, like you must be being genuine, like just don't fake it. Um, be kind to people, be honest with people. And odds are they're, they're going to show you that, you know, same kindness and honesty in return. So it, it was really that. Yeah. And we always find those connections when people are sharing their stories and, you know, the title of the show, Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories, that's, that's, there's so much power in, in our story and your story defines who you are and who you want to be and who you're going to be connected with. And I think one of the things that I, that has been really awesome during the pandemic is a lot of people have had the opportunity to share their stories in different ways. A lot of people went from a teacher to starting to share their work via a blog or someone who wrote a book or someone who created a course or a free opportunity to connect with educators or a Twitter chat or something like that. It's something that I think really has helped people deal with the crisis management of these difficult times, finding that resiliency. You know, efficacy is such a big term. To me, MO, the simplest way is your self-confidence. Your self-confidence is your self-efficacy. But your self-confidence can be so quickly deterred and damaged and so quickly to the point where you don't believe in certain things because of all of the craziness going on. I mean, we talk about the last two and a half years being an educator, change after change after change after craziness after you know, story upon story of, oh my God, today this happened. Oh my God, the next day this happened. Just the constant continuation of crazy variables. So talk a little bit about the work that you came across in your work with efficacy in the research. And I know you talked a little bit about crisis efficacy. You coined the term. <laughs> There's not many people I've had on here who have made up a term that can now be used in the field of research. Crisis Efficacy by Dr. Ali Flegging. I mean, come on, let's hear well, it. Now I'm really hoping that nobody else has copyrighted the term. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of what you said is absolutely true. The last two and a half or whatever years, it's been so uncertain. And it's like, 
adversity after adversity after adversity. But I think the reality is that's how teaching has always been. And I think that the pandemic has really highlighted that for educators, but oddly it hasn't highlighted it for everybody else, for some people. And I, I am so thankful for everyone who is thankful for teachers. You know, I for the people who I meet who say, well, you're teaching now, are, how do you feel? Like, I, I love that compassion and empathy and, and just, you know, the, the few words that they give out to me, but um, we have to face adversities on a daily basis, sometimes within one class period. And I mean, you know, I know you're listening, but anybody else who is listening to this right now, think about your worst day as a teacher and think about all the different adversities that you had to face in that whatever five, six hour span. I'm facing an adversity right now. My dog is barking. We're going to ruin the show. You're going to hear it. See, and now I'm like, all right, we need to figure this out. And I have to like make a joke about it. This is what teaching is. It's multitasking and going on to the next, you know, moment and saying, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to do so with optimism and confidence. And that's essentially what crisis efficacy is. And I'm not saying, oh, I have this and I'm, you know, perfect. And, and I'm always, you know, going through each difficulty in a great way because I'm a human being and there are days where I struggle. But essentially, if you, when I looked at the different variables, we hear a lot of talk about resilience as of late. Um, and there, there are people who define it in different ways, at least in my study, it was mostly defined as facing adversity and like continuing on. So to me, that says you're just surviving. That's it. If you are a resilient person, you are going day to day and you are surviving. But that sounds awful. <laughs> and it kind of sounds like a lot of, um, it sounds like the experience of a lot of teachers that I know and all other social professions. Teachers and nurses, they have the lowest sense of well-being of all social professions. So I can only imagine that maybe if there's a nurse somehow listening to this, they might feel the same way about my view of resilience. So then we look at self-efficacy. Everybody wants to be self-efficacious. We want to be confident. We want to be successful. Even if we fail, we want to still feel like we can keep going and then trade emotional intelligence. Um, who doesn't want to be emotionally intelligent? Who doesn't want to have and these are the four facets. You have self-control, um, you have well-being, um, you know, I mean, all of those different parts of it, um, they're very, very important. So why wouldn't we all want to have that? Why wouldn't we want to have crisis efficacy? And I think that the bigger question is, why are our school districts not giving us professional development to help cultivate this? Oh my God. Mike, that was a tangent. I apologize. Mike <laughs> drop moment right there. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a great point. And I know many school administrators that are out there that are saying the same thing. And with all the burnout research, with all the noise of people leaving the profession, and all of these people that are sacrificing all that they've gained because they just see that the pathway ahead is too long and too difficult and too challenging. And 
even for some new teachers that are into the game, new teachers that started teaching during the pandemic. Oh my God. That's their only experience. I, you know, I remember running into many of them and just saying, it gets better than this. Yes. It is so much better than this. However, this whole idea of self-efficacy, you know, the, the book that I wrote, Unlocking Unlimited Potential, is pretty much about a lot of this was inspired um, because of the way that I was feeling. I mean, I had the doctorate, I had the national board certification. On paper, I looked like I had it all together. But even someone like me who had all of this training and all this preparation still felt unprepared in certain areas and still did not feel confident enough to be able to get through some of the dark times. Felt like it was very difficult. I mean, we were all not only challenged by just the issues we were having in school with our own teaching or with our own leading of students and staff, but we were also we were also given the opportunity to kind of experience all of these other variables in our home, being stuck in our house, not being able to leave, being all of these places where we were not used to being and not really knowing what the future was going to hold and the constant fear the constant fear everybody had of, you know, if this happens to me, what am I going to do? I don't want to go outside. I don't want to see anybody. I want everybody to, you know, stay away and keep their distance. All of these people involved in this process, including students, have really, really had their self-confidence really taken to a point. And you add in that last layer of students and teachers not being able to connect with each other, not being able to have that personal contact, that high five, that look in the eyes of someone else in person, especially in the beginning days of the pandemic, we all look back at it and it seems like a hundred years ago, but we look back at it and, and, oh my God, so many different variables, so many different things. So what are some of the things that you were seeing and that you were doing, because I know some of this research, a lot of this research was done during the time of the pandemic. So what were some of you, you mentioned the variables, right? So in layman's terms, simply in your results, I guess, what were some of the simple things that you saw that people used to kind of get through this, that resilience, to be able to show that they were resilient, not able to just survive, but able to thrive? Yeah, so it's really like not even resilience at all. Um, I, it's it's a part of it to be able to survive and go forward, but um, without well-being, there's really there, there's resilience is not like a feasible thing. You need well-being in your life to be able to have any sort of self-efficacy to be able to face adversity. And I'm not totally hating on resilience. Sometimes that is it's like a the way I see it. It's like a fight or flight, like. There are times where you don't want to do something, you really can't, but you can, and you're just going to get it done. And you know what? That happens all the time. Think about it when you're driving home from work and you know you should stop for gas and you're just like, I don't want to stop for gas right now. And you're like, no, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to go. And like, that's it. Maybe a bad example, but there are things we do and it's not going to completely ruin us as human beings. I think the most important part of my study is let's stop having this hyper focus on resilience and let's really focus on well-being because that's the start of everything. And I, I see that in my own life, you know, during 
during the shutdown, I felt like I lost my identity because my identity is so tied to being an educator and a teacher. And I was like crying every day. My dad would come home because he worked in a hospital um, in the Bronx during the pandemic. And I'm crying at home while he's like you know, risking his life. And he he's like, Ali, I can't keep coming home to you crying every day. You know, what are you going to do about it? So I, I had to figure it out and say what's really important to me and what makes me happy. Well, teaching. Okay, well, I can't teach in the way that I want right now, but what can I do? I can connect with my students. And every Friday I can continue to have my students go on um, the Zoom or the Google Meet and share their highs and lows of the week, which is what I had always done with my students to connect with them. And just being able to do that small thing, um, it made a world of difference for me. And I've had students come to me and say that was one of the best parts of the shutdown that I knew that I could share my high and low of the week with you and the rest of the class. So, you know, it's about connection. It's about staying true to the things that really make you happy. Um, you know, and I, I feel very, very lucky. Like I started in the beginning, I said, I feel lucky. I am lucky that I realized that. And I, I tapped into that for myself because I, God only knows. <laughs> I don't know if I would have been able to finish and I don't think I would be here, you know, talking with you tonight. Yeah. Well, congratulations for making it here. So the million dollar question on top of all that is, mm -hmm. so what do you say to school leaders? What do you say to the people that are out there that are leaving the profession? What do you say to school leaders that they can do to make sure that people are feeling like their well-being is a consideration. Because to me, I hear you loud and clear. And I hear that as a really big point out of here because this is something we've been running into a lot in our conversations in the education space lately. It's been a popular buzzword that teachers are leaving. So what do you have to say to, to help for, for our school leaders that are out there that are dealing with this fallout or that are dealing with people who are questioning their well-being and they're questioning whether or not they're able to keep going. What do you recommend? Um, I don't want to get fired, but no, I'm kidding. I have an amazing administration. Um, and you see how it is. It's like immediately the teacher is like, oh no. Um, the way I see it, um, I think administrators need to be the ones to question the teacher and, and not in a way that's going to be shaming at all, but just to check in. And, you know, I've had administrators do that. My supervisor is so phenomenal, but I'm, I'm lucky. I, I'm in a good place. Uh, not everybody is. So I think it's about really just checking in on teachers. It can, it's, it's a two minute conversation. Hey, how are you actually doing? Let's really talk about that. Let's, you know, maybe look away from there were two days where the teacher just had to put on a movie <laughs> or two days where, you know, you're walking by the classroom and the teacher is just sort of like talking to the kids and not really teaching a lesson because you know what, that's still a lesson in social emotional learning. We're having a conversation. Um, and even really bringing it up another level, who's checking in on the administrators? Because if we're talking about teacher well-being and how that trickles down to the students, it, we must see it in the same way for administrators. We all need to just collectively go into this together and check in on each other and just be honest about how we feel. Giving that grace 
giving that opportunity, understanding educators and administrators and school leaders and directors that are out there, understanding that we are in a shift in education, that this is an opportunity for something greater, for more innovation, more collaboration, more opportunities for educators to create those authentic learning experiences. Now more than ever is your chance. And I agree with you, being able to not necessarily look the other way, but support and understand why things are happening, understand why people are feeling certain ways. And let's not forget about the core of it all, the students. Mm -hmm. Everything that the teachers are feeling, that the administrators are feeling, has also been polluting the young minds of our growing people. The whole that things are not going to go planned as they were anymore. And the fact that we were all able as educators to flip everything overnight to a remote platform and be able to teach from the comfort of our homes and try to make this crazy situation into something. But it was also the uncertainty. All of the uncertainty and the unknown left us, many educators, wondering about our significance. And our significance is at the end of the day, we were really left alone, not able to go and see the people down the hall that we usually collaborate with that usually make our lives a little bit easier because we work together on things. We weren't able to do that. We weren't able to go and ask the administrator a question down the hall because she wasn't or he wasn't down the hall. So all of those things kind of rolled up into a giant snowball effect. And, you know, that really turned into a, a difficult situation for us. And the, the situation for the students also multiplies everything else. But talking a little bit about your next steps, Dr. Ali Flegging, now that you are officially wearing that doctor title. One thing that I love is that you're still in the classroom. You're still teaching. Um, you're still doing the great work. And so what is next for you in, in your career? What are some things you're thinking about? Um, so I've sort of from the beginning of, um, the doctoral program, I read True North, which you may have also read in Dr. Marion's class. Yes. And in it, um, love that book. Yes. And I read it when I was, I mean, this is my, so I got tenure this year, four years and a day, five. So this is actually my sixth year teaching. So I'm, I'm very new to it. Um, even though it feels like 60 years and I still have about 19 more until I get my full pension. So I don't understand. No, I love it. It's fine. Um, but um, in True North, something that really stuck out to me is um, the assertion that if you are going to be in a leadership role, you shouldn't search it out. It will come to you at the right time. And for right now, I love being a teacher. I love walking into my classroom every day Honestly, I actually spoke to one of my very good friends, her mom, who was a teacher in New York City for years. Um, and she said, when I walked into my classroom, I felt like I was walking into a castle. And that's exactly how I feel on the best days, on the worst days. It, it's so a part of me. Um, so I don't want to give that up right now. And if something comes up and, and an opportunity is there, then I'll, I'll search it out. But for right now, what I really love the most is being in my classroom, seeing my students, seeing them smile, um, seeing them be, you know, just their wonderful selves. And 
being there for them. Because I know as an administrator, you're, you're there for the students in the in the school, of course, but it's in a completely different way. Um, and I'm, I want to be the teacher who is there for them at this moment, especially after the last few years, that if, if they need somebody to vent to, they can come in. That That is what makes it all so worth it because I learn just as much from them as hopefully they learn from me. Um, yeah, you said it earlier in the show. You're the lucky one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens next. We, we do call it a calling in this profession, and, and it is something that calls us to our work, and it's something that we call ourselves to. Getting close to the end here, and one thing that we always have everybody do at the end of the show is ask them to finish this sentence. You saw the video at the beginning. Unlocking unlimited potential means. Yeah, I, I've perseverated over this for the last three weeks. Um, <laughs> everybody on your show has said such wonderful things. I um, they have said amazing things, but there there's no right answer, right? There's your answer. Well, I, and that's actually what I was thinking about um, today. So unlocking unlimited potential, I think I think to me means being true to who you are and not trying to fake it. You know who you are as a human being as a teacher, as an administrator, as a student, as a mother, father, uh, daughter, sister, wh whatever. You know who you are. So stay true to that and your values and what you know is the right thing to do for you. And then you'll be able to unlock anything. That nails it. Mic drop moment again, full of mic drops today. So it's pretty yeah. it's pretty messy on the floor around me right now with microphones <laughs> everywhere. But, you know, I really appreciate your perspective and I really appreciate this article. This article will be in the show, is in the show notes. And also and the way that people can contact you and follow you on Twitter is also at Dr. Flegging. It is also in the show notes as well. It's been awesome having the opportunity to talk and chat with you. We talk a lot about this show on Unlocking Unlimited Potential and we went right to the root of it when we talked about self-efficacy. And we talked about the term that you coined crisis efficacy, which I think is something that's really interesting. I hope that people take a moment and have a chance to read the article that you co-authored co with our Unlocking Unlimited Potential episode dedication, Dr. Katie Cunningham. Super excited to, that you two got that article out there. And it's something that I think more educators need to be considering and reading about as they go through. And hopefully people will reach out to you and they'll make great connections. And you're a resource. You're another self-efficacy expert that I believe is out there doing awesome stuff. And I wish you the best in your journey. And I can't wait to see where it takes you. So thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to listen to the episode because I'll say, oh my God, that's what I sound like, but I'll listen to all the other ones. I promise. <laughs> listen, so it, is, it is a common thing. You know, it's hard to listen to yourself, a lot easier to listen to others, but there was a lot of solid gold nuggets in here. And I look forward to all of you continuing to unlock unlimited potential in all whom you serve. And remember everybody out there that the journey towards unlocking unlimited potential begins with you. Dr. Flegging, she joined us today, talked about some amazing stuff. I am Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am just hoping that you have an amazing day, and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors.